Life Audio. Hey, welcome to the Happy Ramp Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always in studio by my good friends, my partner in radio, Barnabas Piper. Pipe, it's just you and me again. This is summer podcasting. Ronnie just disappears for long stretches of time. Uh, it's hot, unrelentingly hot and humid, and uh, we're doing radio by ourselves, you and me. Um, but this is what it is, man. This is what it feels like. And to the, to the point of it being unrelentingly hot and humid, uh, do you live in the kind of neighborhood where like guys water their lawns? Um, actually, yeah, just answer that. We'll start there. So we bought a house a couple months ago, moved into the neighborhood, and it's it's a it's kind of a smaller subdivision. It's really it's literally just a circle. Every house faces yeah. all the other houses, about twenty five houses in the neighborhood. And so I was anxious is too strong of a word, but I was hyper aware when I moved in that this could be the kind of neighborhood where there's a lot of lawn care contests. You know, yep, that's the guy yep. who doesn't mow his lawn every four days kind of thing and so i was very worried that it was going to be like i I was like oh i might have to install a sprinkler system so my neighbors don't hate me etc turns out it is not that kind of neighborhood you know people take care of their property just fine but it's but it's there's not the like lawn measuring contest kind of thing which is is a great relief to me because i get to mow at a reasonable scale and not pay for the sprinklers and all that stuff Oh, that's good. That's really good. Um, Pipe, let's take a quick break. And when we get back, I'm going to tell you about my neighborhood. I need some advice, some pastoral wisdom on this lawn stuff. We'll be back in a minute. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Okay, man, we're back. So my neighborhood, it's kind of weird in that it's like a hybrid between the country and a neighborhood. So everybody's sitting on like two to three acres, right? So everybody has some land. The lawns are big. And I'm probably like the youngest, poorest guy in the neighborhood. Um, You know, we got a great deal in this house. It's an amazing place. Previous owner had kind of let it go a little bit. And it's a bunch of like old rich guys and us. And so as a result, these guys are big lawn waterers. You know, they got the sprinkler systems going. Nobody does their own lawn care in our neighborhood except me. Like, I'm the only guy on the mower, like, cutting my own grass. Um, Everybody else is hiring it out. And as a result, dude, 
I have, and this is dumb. This is so like sinful of my flesh, fear of man. It's stupid. But I have like a complex about it. And I can't even enjoy like a nice evening constitutional with my wife without like noticing everybody else's lawn, noticing how much better than my lawn it is. This is a real problem. What would you say to me as a man of the cloth? Well, first of all, as a man of the cloth, I would say that I really appreciate your uh, your evangelical disclaimer about getting a good deal okay. on the house. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You. I was I got it with an gonna, Amazon gift card. You know, <laughs> I was going to admonish you in the word of the Lord for for yeah. over luxuriating, except that you got a good deal. So that's that. There you go. Value. Guilt, it's the guilt free evangelical trump card. Absolved. Yeah, yeah, that's it. good. Um, love it. Well, first of all, I would say you're not alone. That's a very common yeah. struggle. Uh, maybe not so much the generational thing, but the yeah. like keeping up with the the Joneses lawn thing. Um, mm-hmm. That you know, every, are any? Well, let me ask you this: Are any of your neighbors particularly aggressive about this? Are they passive aggressive about this? You know, yeah. come over and be like, oh, I, I see uh, I see the grass under your oak tree is a little thin. You know, I've I got a great product for reseeding if you're interested or anything like that. Is that a thing that happens? Yeah. No, I would say for the most part, they're on a spectrum. One end of which is nice. Like, I, I think we have some genuinely nice people in our neighborhood. And then the other end of the spectrum is just aloof. But I read things into the aloofness. You know what I mean? I read in, they're dissatisfied with us. They talk about us behind our backs. <laughs> you know, I'm really a miserable person. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> um, I, I, think, I think that's what's going on. But uh, yeah, and, and mm. it's weird because I enjoy the neighborhood, right? Like it's really pretty. There's all kinds of like super mature trees and tall trees. It's a, it's a really, for West Tennessee... It's an attractive neighborhood, and I, I like being here. And save listeners, for the fact, for those of yeah. you who don't live in West Tennessee, uh, an attractive neighborhood is—it's a bit unicornish yeah. in that part of the state. Yeah, they're fewer and further between than than they are where you live, for example. Um, West Tennessee has been described as like basically North Mississippi, um, and I think that's. That's apropos, but I uh, but I, I really like it out here, and I think, yeah, we stumbled upon a really pretty neighborhood, and um, yeah, I either need to get rich so that I can keep up, or I need to deal with these issues in my heart, which is probably what the Lord would have me do. So um, the, the the thing yeah. that I don't understand, so I I completely get your you know your context. If I was in your shoes, I think I would do the exact same thing. Um, my, you know, where your heart goes to dark places of assuming they're talking about you. I think mine would go to dark places of like, F you guys for talking about me, (laughs) you know, or like, I don't care what you think. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to mow my lawn shirtless, you know, with like a, with the beer, (laughs) the beer cans and the helmet on my head. Like, I don't care about anything you guys are saying. Um, but, uh, what I don't get, so I resent paying my water bill every month. Yeah. And we yeah. use it for normal things. We use it for yeah, showers sure. like and showers dish, and dishwashers yeah. and laundry. <laughs> right, you know, right. the majority of our water. Yeah. And every month I'm like, ugh, that's a lot of money for water. And I live in a house with all yeah. women, and so there's more of those things happening. But yeah. Yeah. I cannot 
cannot fathom putting in irrigation and running my sprinklers every six hours during the hellish heat of Tennessee summer just to keep my grass green. Yeah. Like I, I don't... I don't understand the mental and emotional and psychological and reputational payoff of having a green yeah. lawn when nature says grass should be dead. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know it. And that's, that's kind of where I'm at too. And so I don't, I don't water. Um, the other weird thing about our climate here is that it's, ah, I'll use a word that I hate. I think it's gradations more moist than yours is like, it never really gets fully dry here. Like the 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 West Tennessee climate is like a really gross like petri dish. Like mm-hmm. everything grows. And you know, even your grass grows when like right now we're in a drought. It hasn't rained in like 3 months and it's been a 104 degrees every day and like stuff is still green. Like stuff is still growing in my lawn. It's bizarre. But yeah, then I I look at my neighbor's lawn and it's like the 18th hole at Augusta National. Like it's pristine, it's perfect. You know, you could, you could like putt a golf ball on it. You could eat off of it. You know, it's just like it. It looks like carpet. Makes and, you want to um, take a nap. Yeah, yeah. It makes you want to lay on it and take a nap. You know, or have a picnic or whatever. Um, and I just look at that, and my countenance falls, and I just go, I will never get there. You know, I and in all my years. I will never get there. And I think even I could have all the money and all the resources in the world and I'd never get there. You know, there's something about these guys. They're just a, they're a certain kind of guy that I'm not. You know what I mean? Is, or did they used to not be like that? And then like come retirement, all they have, like all they have is time and tinkering. Yeah. And their lawn is they're like, because I noticed this about retired people. Most of mm-hmm. whom are not listening to this show. Yeah, like when you when you have when you have by by assignment given your mental energy to something for the last forty forty years or whatever fifty years um, being mm-hmm. employment, and then all that goes away, you aimlessly do nothing, or you begin to devote your attention to things. So you become a toy collector. You tinker, and you're like you're con- there was <laughs> the neighborhood yeah. we used to live in. There was a guy who he's probably in his mid to late 70s the mm-hmm. most pristine garage i have ever seen i never saw any of his oh, vehicles yeah. with a spot of dirt he had yeah I, I saw i saw him waxing his golf cart that he tooled around the neighborhood in like oh that, yeah that became his passion and i told i told lauren i was like you know i hope when i'm retired i care as much about something as that guy cares about taking you know taking care of his garage and stuff i just I hope it's not cars in a garage. I hope that's not where my energy yeah. goes. But he he yeah. devoted himself to it. Is that lawns? Like, is that in your neighborhood? Is that yeah. that thing? It is. And and like the old garage guy is fascinating. Like the pristine garage guy, you could eat off the floor. Everything's kind of shimmering and gleaming. Every tool, like on the pegboard, has like a an outline around it drawn so that like it can be placed perfectly. Yeah, and I, I think there's something, not to get too pastoral on this, but like I think there's something deep-seated in that about I want to take something imperfect and make it perfect. You know, I want to... My life is probably a shambles, right? Like, my kids hate me, and my wife's indifferent, and, you know, I just worked, you know, 
30 years at a company and they gave me a gold watch and said goodbye and they'll they'll forget I ever existed in two days. And like, so these old guys, they're dealing with all that, right? And they don't have the equipment verbally or emotionally to process it. But they're like, you know what? My lawn's going to be perfect. You know, you could you could eat off my garage floor. It's going to be amazing. So I, I, I do have some sympathy for that. Um, while at the same time thinking... I will probably try to do that when I'm old, but fail, <laughs> you know, and, and hopefully I'll fail because my kids do love me and I have a vibrant church life and I don't know, I'm, I'm like investing my time in things that matter. Uh, I hope, you know, this is aspirational, but, um, so I, I hope that, or honestly, I hope I'm dead before, <laughs> before any of that kicks in, you know, uh, which is, which is a possibility. So, um, yeah, the, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. What the the thing that I don't understand? So I I agree with I agree with what you just said. I think I think there's something in us that is constantly like, especially as we get older. Maybe there's also a sense of like, time is short, so I need to yeah do something with my time. I need to kind of better better my space, better the world. <clears throat> yeah, I don't understand people who outsource that. Like yeah, you said none of the people in your neighborhood do their own lawn care. Like. What they the only sense of satisfaction they then have is my lawn looks nice and maybe it looks nicer than my neighbor. So then it becomes a comparative yeah. thing. And yeah. uh yeah, like that that is so foreign. Yeah, like I, yeah, I don't know. I don't get that at all. I don't even see them tinkering with their lawn. You know what I mean? It's like Right. Yeah. So whatever sense of well being they get, it's like sweet, I made a phone call. You know, I, I, I called the right companies to take care of my lawn. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, there's there's a very like removed sense of satisfaction about it, which uh, I don't know. Like I, you know, and caveat this with I don't enjoy it as much when it's 104 degrees out. I actually enjoy mowing my lawn. Are you an enjoy mowing the lawn guy? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's uh, yeah. I heard somebody say recently they're like, if you spend the majority of your time uh, exercising your mind, like if your work is primarily mental then doing yeah. physical labor is is part of relaxation for you. So like last Sunday I preached and I came home and it wasn't 104 degrees. It was only like 92. Mm. And so yeah. I mowed the lawn in the afternoon because like popping in the earbuds and listening to an audiobook or podcast or music and just walking rows, my yeah. lawn's not big enough yeah. to need a riding mower, um, mm -hmm. is, is relaxing. Like my brain can just kind yeah. of go into – like it's like bringing your heartbeat down except for the brain it just kind of like chills all yeah. the way out and it was it's yeah yes. it's cathartic dude and then you have that great feeling of when you're done you're kind of sweaty you can take a shower you can flip on some tv and feel like you've earned it you know which is a, a really nice feeling and it's measurable like everything yeah. i do other than like handing in book manuscripts is not measurable mm -hmm. like i don't know what is yeah what is good pastoring you know, yeah. Responding to emails on time. I don't know. Like you preach right, a sermon and you're right. like, boy, I, ho I hope that worked. And you look at the yeah, lawn no, and you're I like, look, it. straight rows of even grass. That's a, me that's a measurable success. Yeah. It, it'd be interesting to get Ronnie's perspective on this because he hasn't done a manual thing in 50 years. Like he, he hasn't broken a sweat. He hasn't turned a wrench. He hasn't walked a row of cutting the grass. Like Ronnie lives as though he's, he lives like he's Jay-Z, even though he's like a small town pastor. So he hires everything out. And 
I don't know what he does. Like I can totally hear him saying, "Yeah, I have no idea what you guys are talking about." Oh, totally. He would, yeah, he would be smug and like I'm being smug about the fact that I do do the work. He would be smug about the fact that he doesn't, which I get from a 75 year old guy. Like if you're 75 and like I don't know, your knee hurts or your hips are shot or whatever, like yeah, you're not walking behind the mower. But Ronnie was at some point in his life ostensibly like an able bodied person who could cut a you know, cut the grass. But yeah, like as far as I know, he's never done it. Um, it, which is like a fascinating mindset to me. Um, and I think for him, it's like my time is better served. Like I'm better off like thinking deep thoughts in my like little wooden room than I am, you know, walking behind a mower and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just, I can't understand it, but I kind of want to understand it, you know? Yeah. I, it, yeah, I think I mean I think his satisfaction <clears throat> comes just in in sort of the the hustle like yeah we we mow we mow lawns and he's like mm-hmm. he's networking he's creating the next thing he's you know he he creates music I wonder if like that that I want I'd be interested to hear from him how that connects with like pastoral ministry because it's mm. it is his own thing it's done more in isolation it's a it's a yeah. totally different kind of mental and creative process so that might be like yeah maybe maybe working on you know writing songs and creating tracks and stuff is is kind of his his version that could be. of yeah. of us that mowing the lawn which be. makes me feel you know lesser yeah yeah it does maybe it shouldn't yeah i vacillate <laughs> between feeling lesser and feeling more <laughs> you know like <laughs> I don't know, and I and I and I honestly don't know which side should win. Probably neither, but yeah, it's interesting. Pipe, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll hit one more quick topic. All right, we're back. Um, you raised an interesting question via text the other night, and it was something along the lines of, "What is it that our generation is missing?" So, what is it that like? in 20 years, our kids are going to resent us for? Like, what are they going to complain about uh, that we missed, that we did wrong? I have some thoughts on this, but I want to hear your thoughts. Where were you, uh, where were you at when you proposed this? It, I don't remember why it popped into my head. These things usually pop into my head like while I'm unloading the dishwasher or something and, and kind of my mind is just drifting. But uh, I think it had to do with um, I'm going on a I'm going on a fishing trip at the end of the month with my dad and my brothers. Um, there have been some, you know, in, between every generation, there are some. There's friction, you know. So like, yeah, how my how my parents did things hasn't always sat well with me or my siblings at various points, and we've had to work through some of that. And then I was thinking yeah. about it. And I'm like, well, now I have, and and I'm also at a place where like my daughter is six, my older daughter is sixteen. And we're talking through some decisions about like what she's what's she gonna do in the next couple of years, both looking towards college, what's she gonna do with sports? Uh, is it, you yeah. know, should she continue with those? Should she not? Those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And uh, so just realizing like, oh, I'm now the generation who is going to do or not do things, value or not value things in a way that in 15, 20 years she might resent, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. so what are yeah. the things that like that as a parent or just like broader society, you know, we, I'm an older millennial, almost Gen X. 
And mm-hmm. we look at baby boomers and we're like, thanks for all the crap you handed us, you know, and then and then all and then also <laughs> yeah. like to blame us for uh, in terms mm-hmm. of the economy and workaholism and whatever else mm-hmm. helicopter parenting. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's, it, it kind of came out of that thought process of like, what am I completely blind to? That my yeah. kids are going to be like, why did you do that? Or why didn't you do that? Yeah. That was kind of the general yeah. thought process. No, that's good. I One that comes to mind that I think is an indictment of like, specifically like our generation of parents. I think we never let them fail. Um, whereas failure was kind of baked into our lives as kids. And it was baked into such a degree that like, some failure was expected. Like the expectation wasn't I'm going to be amazing at every sport that I play, or I'm going to get lauded for my achievements at school. It like the expectation was one or two people get lauded and everybody else is just kind of there. But even just going to like the end of the year festivities at like my kids, weirdo classical school, it's like everybody's getting, some sash or some ribbon or some cum laude, you know, you got the award for like, you know, best Latin translation or whatever. It's a really nerdy school. Um, (laughs) So every parent is getting pleasured in some way. You know what I mean? Um, And these things are calibrated to pleasure the parent because it's us who writes the checks. Um, So as a result, nobody's ever feeling like they failed. It's weird I do think it's something that in 20 years they're going to complain about. Um, I also think, and you can riff on either of these, that or kind of in our hyper homeschool communities, and I, I put classical school into the same bucket because classical school is basically homeschool with other people. Um, I think our kids are going to resent the degree to which we like snatched them out of the world and cloistered them. Um, I don't know exactly how that'll manifest, but I think in 20 years, they're going to be sitting around in their like, uh, living rooms complaining about that. What, what do you think of either of those? I, I, I completely agree with your analysis of like our generation parenting. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just sort of mulling over how our kids will respond. Um, Yeah. Because, like, you know, we think about being children of the 80s and 90s where, like, you get on your bike at 8 a.m. and you come back for a peanut butter sandwich at lunch and then you disappear again and, like, be (laughs) back by dinner or you're not eating kind of thing. Right. And and how anathema that is to most parents today. But we look back on that and we're like, I loved it. Yeah, that was cool. is the alternative Mm going to be true that our kids are like, you didn't give us any freedom. Like I yeah. couldn't ride without knee pads and a helmet and staying within sight of the house. Like they're riding circles yeah. in the driveway kind of thing. And right, uh, right. Which, which that, pro- that protectiveness, I think also goes to the not letting them fail at anything. Yeah. Cause you know, part of going yeah. out and riding your bike is like coming home with a busted head and needing stitches and stuff like that. So yeah. Yeah. You know, I think about it and I'm like, my kids have never gotten stitches that mm. that's partly interesting. Be, that's, I mean, they're girls, which means they yeah they are innately 
uh, less likely to do dumb stuff that I did. They also don't have older brothers making them do dumb stuff like I did. Um, Yeah. But also, like, have I have I over coddled them, over sheltered them? Yeah, I don't think so. Like, they climb trees, they ride bikes, they do whatever. Uh, Yeah. So just trying to think what it would look, what that resentment would look like, and I what I'm afraid of is that it's going to be more subtle. So, like, yeah. the stuff that we resent baby boomers for is, like, societal and economic. You created yeah. a you created an environment where we can't get jobs that pay well enough or buy mm-hmm. houses. And I say we. I'm thinking yeah. mostly, like, people in their late 20s, early 30s, that kind of thing. Um, sure, sure. What you're describing is people who are unfit to navigate a cutthroat world and it's going to take them therapy to figure out that it was their moms or dads doing. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? I do. Yeah. No, I do. And I, and I think some of that's going to be operative for sure. I, I've got another question for you on this. This is more church related. Uh-huh. And I, I say this with great fear and trembling because, you know, I, I will be indicting myself on this. Do you think we shoved too much church stuff at them at too young of an age? Because the the sort of operative posture in reformdom circa the last 15 or 20 years has been get your little child next to you in the service as quickly as possible so they can listen to the hour-long sermon and sing 14 songs, all of which take 10 minutes. You know, like we started... The posture was, you know, no Sunday school, nothing fun. Get them in the get them in the sanctuary as quickly as possible. Which I kind of like, still ride with that. That makes sense. But do you think there's going to be some pushback on that? Oh, absolutely. I think we already see some of that. Um, so, so much of what of what the uh, why am I blanking on the the term um, deconstruction. What we see is deconstruction. People who grew up in the church leaving the church is attached Mm -hmm. to some. I mean, there's a ton of it that is attached to things like abuse and hypocrisy and stuff that you're like, that's a genuine Mm -hmm. conflict of morality. Yeah. yeah. Claiming Mm -hmm. to be Christian and then acting in an unchristian way. Those are that's a real problem. Um, But a lot of it is basically kids who have been indoctrinated, but not they never learned to love the church. Um, Yeah. And, and so much of that, and we've talked on this podcast so many times about how like parenting books, even Christian parenting books are still basically a law unto themselves where it's like, follow these six or eight or 27 or 14 steps to have a perfect (laughs) Christian child. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that in, at least in, in the more conservative church world, that still holds true in how we do things there. I see it when Mm -hmm. people are like, this is how we do family worship. Like when I hear the phrase family worship, I cringe. Yeah. Because there are ways to do it that are great. Mm -hmm. But most people don't. And most of what I observe and what I experience is the kind of thing that is going to make, it's creating kind of a legalistic standard and, and and an internal resentment which is super mm-hmm. confusing for kids because they know that what they're resenting is supposed to be morally right. Yeah. Like, 
being dragged to church four days a week or sitting through a 30-minute family worship session five days a week is not right. fun. And, yeah. And so they they hate it often, yeah. but they know they shouldn't hate it because this is God's house or this is God's word or this is worship. It's right, so I shouldn't hate this. And so it creates this internal right. tension. And I think that stuff blows up. Because at some point, yeah. they gain freedom, and they're like, oh, I don't have to do this. There's other ways to do this. Rarely does it come yeah. around to balance, where they're like, there's a better way to do this. Yeah. And uh, yeah. like, I I don't know that, I mean, I, I wouldn't write a book on parenting any anytime soon, nor would I uh, claim to be a perfect parent. But what I've tried to do for my kids is put them in a, in a position where they get to discover how wonderful it is to be part of yeah. the church and yeah. it's, or, or be in the word, you know, like it's a constant yeah. push and pull with Bible reading. Like, do I make them read the Bible every day? That's what my parents did for me. Yeah. And it took me a long mm-hmm. time, it was, which developed a great habit, but it took me a long time to, to like see anything in the word of God and not just do this for 30 yeah. minutes a day or whatever. Yeah. So I don't want to create legalism, but if I don't, mm-hmm. they won't read the word consistently. What do I do? What that sort of push and pull? So, gosh, yeah, that's yeah. a great question. So to answer your question, like I think, I think that heavy handedness spiritually, which is mm-hmm. done with all the right intentions, yeah, is going to have backlash at, as it as it already has. Yeah. No, I know that, and that, and that's it's such a good point, right? Because we try to. You know, we try to do our level best in all these things, and we're trying to do what we think the Lord would have us do for our kids. And yet, like, we are sort of asking them to do a thing that, like, most adults don't even want to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's hard for most adults to sit through a two hour service without, like, climbing the walls. And to ask your, like, seven year old to do it is almost, you know, it's kind of ridiculous um and yeah we still do it and we're convinced that it's the best way i don't know i think one thing that our generation i hope is is better at than previous generations and i think again this Mm -hmm. is a plus and a minus it's kind of a a two-sided coin is is being honest with our kids like i think i think there are a lot of younger parents and i say younger i'm thinking like younger gen x older millennials on down kind of thing yeah who who are who open up to their kids more they kind of let them see their true mm-hmm. feelings which mm-hmm. categorically i think is a good thing from a discernment yeah. standpoint a lot of times i'm like oh maybe you should have waited until they were 12 not 7 to to, to tell them that <laughs> um yeah but regarding church one of the most helpful things i think i have done with my kids is when my daughter's like She's like slumped down. This is when she was a little bit younger. She, you know, she's mm-hmm. thirteen now. But when she was like eight, you know, she's like slumped down in the in the seat in church and just like drooling and like just giving every yeah. physical evidence of of nearing death due to boredom. Yeah. To basically lean over and go, when I was eight, I hated sitting through service. Mm-hmm. Here's here's some things that I did to survive, and over time, I've, I yeah. I found it better. And for her, yeah. so for her yeah. to know, like, oh, this, like, she looks at me as sort of this paragon, and for me to be like, yeah, yeah I wanted to sleep through it or leave too. I get it. 
Yeah. And a yeah. lot of parents just won't do that because they're like, I want my kids to see this is better. I'm like, but you didn't. Like, just tell them it's normal. Yeah. I think it's boring when an old guy talks for a long time. Yeah. No, that's good. And that's that's true so that they don't end up feeling like, what's wrong with me? You know, every, is everybody else vibing with this? And am I the one, yeah. you know, weirdo that isn't? When, in fact, it's probably the other way around. Yeah. And, um, like, and I, yeah. I, I, and I talked to my kids about sort of the, like... Look, I'm not asking you to be like I can't make you interested. I am asking you to show a little bit of respect with your body language. And they're That's like, right. is you know, yep. so I'm like, I I don't care if you like it, but just like sit up straight and and try not to drool, you know, those kinds yeah. of things. And it yeah. And again, they, they, what they're hearing there is not a moral <laughs> standard as much as it is just just have a little dignity, show a little respect, not like God yeah. is going to drop lightning on you for being bored in church. <laughs> exactly. No, that's good. And yeah, I think if our generation has done anything right, it's it's being better at that kind of dialogue hopefully, where we we let them see we let them see the real person, you know? And I think previous generations there was this sense of like I become a Christian, I have to put all of my like human impulses or all of anything that would allow me to relate to another person, all that goes in a in a closet, you know, and I'm just this machine, you know, just this robot. And uh, what do you know? It's hard to connect with a person like that. And it's hard to feel like you know a person like that. And, um, yeah, hopefully we're we're doing that a little bit better. Um, Pipe, this has been fun, man. We've, uh, we've done what we always do on this program uh, in that we've wandered to and fro throughout a couple of topics, a little lawn stuff and a little, like, how are we screwing our kids up stuff. Always fun to do it. And until next time. We want to take a moment to thank the team at Life Audio for partnering with us on this podcast. Be sure to go to lifeaudio.com and take a look at the other podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Hi, I'm Beckett Cook, host of The Beckett Cook Show. I lived as a gay man in Hollywood for many, many years until I had a radical encounter with Jesus 13 years ago. Since then, I've gotten my master's degree in seminary and published a book called A Change of Affection. On my podcast, The Beckett Cook Show, I sit down with fascinating Christian scholars and thinkers to address the lies of the culture and bring the biblical truth to bear on those lies. To start listening now, go to lifeaudio.com or search for The Becca Cook Show on your favorite podcasting platform.